Hey there, welcome to the Collide podcast. This is Willow Weston, the founder and director of Collide. And there are so many things happening around here that we have for you, whether it's our new Bible study books, journals, and guides that we just got. So make sure to check them out at wecollide.net or it's our online courses or the blog or podcast or future events and conferences that we have. Make sure you check it all out. But today I'm really excited to hand you this interview that I just had with Dr. Nancy Murphy. She's a licensed therapist. She teaches at the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. For years was the executive director of Northwest Family and co-author of Speaking Up, Recognizing and Addressing Domestic Violence in the Christian Community. Yes, she has this long list of amazing things she does in the world, and you will be impacted by her, I promise. And listen to this I promise I'm bleeding you. Listen to this, even if you have not experienced domestic violence because you know someone who has. And and just from my own story, like I'm asking you to not skip this over because it's someone talking about domestic violence because you think it doesn't apply to your life. I actually think that this is going to help you help someone you know. But I absolutely loved this interview because Nancy comes at all this work from the place of her own pain and story, and you're going to hear that right away. So here you go. Nancy, I'm so excited to have you on today. I have um, done a thorough job of stalking you and hearing a bit about your story, and it sounds like you have been through so much, and I read that you were a divorced mom of three kids living in your car when you first heard the words domestic violence, and I thought, hey, maybe we start there and rewind all the way back to that season of your life, and maybe you can invite us back there with you. Hmm. Uh, yeah, well, thank you for starting at the place of my greatest pain. <laughs> so as I, uh, as I travel back there in my heart, let me just take a moment. Mm-hmm. I remember when, um, I remember just, I guess I just got triggered on the word divorced. When I got a divorce, I thought I was wearing that scarlet red red letter, you know, that that said that I was unclean and that nobody would want me and that I had failed God. I remember, um, uh, I I don't know why most of us know the word God hates divorce, right? And um, so I, I intuited that that meant that God hated me. And I remember when the divorce papers came through, I looked at um, I looked at the papers and I said to the Lord, we were, I was walking on the beach and I said, Lord, I've really enjoyed my relationship with you. You have meant everything to me over the years. Um, I love you and I care about you, um, but goodbye. You know, thank you. I really thought there was no God for me. And I, I thought, huh, maybe this is, I could still feel his presence. And it's just like, Maybe this is like when someone passes away that you're close to. You feel close to them and it takes time. Slowly but surely their memory and their presence ebbs away, right? And you remember them, but you don't feel their presence as much. And I thought, I wonder if that's what's happening. And I said, okay, bye, Lord. Almost like run along now. (laughs) I get it. I get that there's no God for me. I get that you hate me. I just couldn't stay in 
that marriage because it was hurting my children so much and it was hurting me. And I, I remember so well the Lord's presence still with me. And a couple of days later, I thought, I've been tripped. I read the scriptures wrong. I did not understand something here. The Lord was present to me. And you know that scripture that says that God is close to the brokenhearted? I really experienced the presence of the Lord in such a deep and a renewed way. He never let me go. He didn't go away. So I had these three little children that were very, they are precious to me, but they were like three, four, and six. And I had the responsibility for them. And I felt like I'd had a really amazing upbringing. My parents were missionaries and they were faithful to each other, to the Lord and to the communities that they served. And my children were having a completely opposite um, experience. They were afraid, they were confused, things were chaotic, they weren't safe. Um, I wasn't safe. And so uh, even being divorced, I, I couldn't find safety. So. I came across uh, to the United States. I was from Canada, and I came across the border um, to come to school. And I, I, I hate to say this, but um, uh, I felt safe in the states because my ex-husband had a criminal record, and he didn't like Americans. And I just thought that I would be safer in the states than in Canada because he couldn't cross. Mm -hmm. He couldn't cross the border, and. Uh, I was in a class at, at Seattle Pacific University and they had a, um, a guest speaker come in and she told what domestic violence was. She listed the continuum of abuse that started like with verbal abuse. It would be like a, a, a put down or something that could be intuited as sarcasm, but it was intended to really be a barb and on the continuum of verbal abuse, it went down from, from that small tactic, they called it, all the way to murder-suicide. They had one for physical abuse, so it would be like a pinching or slapping, and all the way down, down the continuum to murder-suicide, they had it with spiritual abuse, where um, it would start off like you're crazy to believe that or that's not what the Bible says so to you know or making faith of your religion and your family and your community all the way down to murder suicide and I looked at all of those and I I said I put up my hand in class and I said well all those things happened to me except for the last the severe ones there that led to murder suicide I said all those things happened to me but I'm not an abused woman. And the whole class started to laugh. And it was just like one of those, they were, might not laugh out loud, but they thought I was being funny. And mm -hmm. like, I like to laugh and I'm easily humored. So I get their laughter, but I was mortified inside. I thought that I, I thought, what are, what are they getting that I'm not getting? And the guest speaker uh, her name was Janine Watkins. I can still remember, you know, even though it was years ago, I, it was a special moment to me. A big tear dropped down her face, and she sat down from her teaching position of standing. She sat down, and she looked at me, and she said, all those things happened to you? 
And I just, I was just kind of like frozen. And she said, can we meet for lunch after class? And I just kind of nodded. And then we went, we went through the rest of, the, of her lecture. Well, at lunch, she said, what is it that if all those things happen to you and you don't consider yourself an abused woman, what do you think abuse is? And I said, well, somebody with broken bones and black eyes. And she said, have you ever had broken bones and black eyes? And I said, well, yeah, I, yeah, yes. <laughs> you know, as a matter of fact. And I said, yeah, but, and she says, so what else? And I said, well, maybe someone who's poor or somebody who is, doesn't have an education, somebody who's not a Christian. And she looked at me and she said, Nancy, you are a survivor of domestic violence. You, that is what we call domestic violence. And I was so shocked because it just bounced up against my definitions that it happens to other people. It doesn't happen to people like me. Um, how could it? Like I had, I had gone to university. Do you know what I mean? It's just like the, the, the ways that I had minimized it in my own mind. And so that's where I started to toy with this. And it's like, that's not a label that I wanted to bear, like a survivor of domestic violence. I really had framed it that there was something so wrong with me that there was nothing, nothing that I did was good enough. And that's that I, I had tried everything. The, so for me, looking back, I've since learned my own story. Right. And uh, Dan Allender said to me something about uh, about my story. And I kind of shuddered. And he says, Nancy, he said, don't you know that to know your story and to love your story is to love God? And I just thought, what is wrong with you? you know, like, no, I don't know that. That's not true. That's not in the Bible. You know, like, But it was kind of the encouragement that I used to learn my story. And I've come to love the aspects of my story that have brought me closer into a relationship with the Lord and to other people who are wounded. Um, and I, I hope that's an expression of loving God. Hmm. Nancy, you went through so much in your marriage and it's, it's fascinating to me. I mean, I guess I'm listening to it from my own experience and everyone listening has their own experience with domestic violence, but I had some experiences with domestic violence myself with my, my mother's, um, boyfriend. And I, watched my mom have to leave in a hurry to get us to safety. And it's an incredibly brave thing you did taking your children and trying to get them to safety. I'm curious if you can invite us into what goes on in the head of a woman who is experiencing these things you're talking about. Cause she, your, your teacher went through the continuum of violence in a relationship, like the sarcasm, the pinching, the, hitting the kicking to the broken bones and the black eyes, and you still couldn't identify with that. What, what goes on in our heads that tell us like, this isn't, this isn't domestic violence somehow justifying that 
we're not being battered? Mm. Such a great question. Well, there's a healthy amount of denial. You know, denial, I think, is helpful because it helps you survive what you've just been through. To name mm. something is very painful, right? It's mm. very painful. And, uh, and yet it's also healing. So there's kind of two sides to that um, issue. I guess for me, uh, I kept thinking that if I was better, I could, things would be different. So the first time I was hit was on my honeymoon. And he, I had had a bad dream uh, that he had slept with somebody else on the parking lot in Safeway, you know. And I woke up with that feeling, and I, a really overwhelming, terrible feeling. And I looked at him. He was asleep, and I knew that that couldn't have happened because we were here, you know. It was something else. So I just said, I just slipped out of bed, and as I was leaving the room, uh, he said where are you going? And I said, oh, I'm just going to go outside for some fresh air. I just want to brush this dream off of me. Like, I just want to, you know, take a deep breath, say good morning to the Lord. And, and he says, you're not going anywhere. And the way that he said it, it was in such a menacing tone. I had not heard that tone before. And I thought, I got confused. Like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. So I thought, go back to sleep. I'll be right back. And I went outside. And he followed me, and that was the first time that he, you know, and I don't really want to go into that story much, but that was the first time I experienced blows and words that have been tattooed and seared into my mind, probably ever since, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, he said to me, I would never have had to do that if only you didn't, if you would have, like, obeyed me and listened to me. And I realized at the time, um, hmm, there's a lot of scriptures for wives in the Bible, but not necessarily girlfriends. And something had changed in our relationship, though, I was a wife. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands, right? So even if they're disobedient to the word, they'll be won by your pure, chaste behavior. That's what it says. And it goes on, not by the adorning of your hair, you know, like it, but, but by your, my pure, chaste behavior. And I intuited from that that how I behaved would impact how he behaves, right? So it's just like, and I was captured. We were isolated. Women are, so this is a long answer to your short question, what goes on. Um, I'm going to put it succinctly. That happened once. Then comes the tears and the please forgive me and I'll never do it again, the promises, right? And so it's not always bad. There's those moments where it's bad, and then there's moments where it's not bad anymore. And just when you start to think, okay, all right, we made it over that. This is never going to happen again. Um, Guess what happens? The tension starts to build, and something happens. And in that tension-building time, you were you were stepdaughters. So you would probably know at first, like, "Uh uh-oh, here comes something. And usually the the victim will start trying to make sure it doesn't happen, like get busy and make his favorite dinner, clean the house, you know, try to cajole him in certain ways. 
to try to stop it from happening, but it's going to happen and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And so it's been likened to like a frog being put in a pot of water. <laughs> you know, if mm -hmm. they turn the heat up right away, that frog jumps up out. But this happens slowly and over, over time. And next thing you know, that frog's cooked. And mm -hmm. so I think that there's a lot of hope. You want to have a good marriage. You, uh, you don't want to have another, like if, I don't know what happened to your dad, Willow, but you know, you don't want to have another failed marriage or another sad relationship. So, um, that's some of the things some people don't know because they've experienced abuse and they think that, well, I, my dad was an alcoholic or my, my mom was, this guy doesn't drink. So this can't, this can't be domestic violence. Right. So mm -hmm. there's lots of, lots of reframing that happens in our head. Yeah. It's interesting to me because and fascinating, really. You said that you intuited that God hated me. You you knew a piece of scripture, which we often use scripture as a weapon on each other and ourselves. Mm -hmm. You knew a piece of scripture. You intuited that God hated you if you were to get divorced. I'm wondering if you can speak into that a little bit to the experience of how often are Christian women not leaving a terribly abusive relationship that's unsafe for them and their children because they're not wanting to disappoint God. Yeah, I I can't tell you the statistics, but that's probably the number one. Um, yeah, the number one rationalization, not wanting to disappoint God. I had a, a client, oh, she is so precious to me. And she had been through like, like textbook classic in, um, violence that was, it was really unspeakable. And I asked her, you know, uh, what she was thinking when she first experienced it. And there's so much trauma in that first experience, right? They can just really shut down and kind of just survive and try to think of how you make it, make it through. And that was her experience. She was so traumatized. She said that she thought God was punishing her because she got married in white and she wasn't a virgin. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine? So it's, it's some of the twisted theology that we have um, mm -hmm. and or things that we learned in our childhood that just keeps us there. We're imprisoned by a belief system. Um, and there's not... Uh, pastors often say to me, Nancy, I have been trained in how to marry people, but I, there's nothing in my training on how to help people get a divorce. Mm. I thought that was really important because there's so much in the scripture about people fleeing for safety. Mary and Joseph, they fled to save Jesus, right? Um, there, there's uh, Moses was hid in bulrushes. Right, and then adopted by the king as a way of saving his life. There's lots of permission and resources in the scripture for safety. And so we need to rethink some of the things we've learned and unlearn some of the things that we've learned. Mm, such a good word. I, I was speaking at a retreat this year, and I ended up in a conversation with a woman on the side afterwards and 
she began opening up about being newly married and and being abused and it, the cycle of abuse has just yes. grown worse and worse and she keeps justifying it and at one point in the conversation she said don't worry she goes i have a go bag yeah and good. if it happens again i'll go uh-huh but I just, I yeah. mean, I just, everything in me was like, you shouldn't live with a go bag. Yeah, yeah. You should yeah. live a life with a stay bag, not a go bag. Uh-huh. Like, and it was so crazy to yeah. me that that was almost like okay for her to live every day with a right. go bag, wondering yeah. if it was going to happen next. Yeah, that's you know? all. That's well, a very, wow. And I like that she said, don't worry. <laughs> it's like, well, here's one of the things about, I trust victims. I I trust them that when they're ready to leave, they will. Not just ready emotionally, but there's a lot of reasons, good reasons to stay. Kids love their dads. Um, sometimes there's finances that are dependent on, but most importantly, it's dangerous to leave. Um, the most dangerous time for a woman in, in domestic violence is when she leaves um, and and when it's clear to her, the person who's abusing her, that she's done. There, if you if you read like the stories where someone's been murdered by by their partner, um, you can see that very often it will say she had left twenty four hours before, or she had just it was in the midst of that because it's like. Domestic violence is about power and control and about having power over and control of of someone. And when they lose that power over, that's a dangerous time. So that go bag is a good start. And the next step is to go when it's safe, right? Mm -hmm. To go when she's safe enough for me. Looking back, coming to the United States was my way of being safe. I don't think that I could have gotten away. I know I could not have gotten away if I wouldn't have had this as an alternative. Mm-hmm. And I had called the police to say, what do you, what do, you do when you know um, that someone wants to murder someone? And they said, who are we talking about? And I lived in a small town, and I said, oh, just somebody I know. I didn't want to say exactly, and... Uh, they said, well, has he done it yet? And I said, no. And they said, is it you? And I said, maybe. And they said, well, we can't do anything until it's happened, but we can come by, we can drive by your home and make sure, you know, just kind of be a presence there. So I was thinking the police can't do anything, right? My faith Um, community, he was ingratiated into the faith community because he was a man's man and he knew the scriptures and he was loved and he was feared by them too. So what were they going to do? They were kind of like in a no-win position. And so it was, I just kept wondering. So talking about like having to rethink, how does having, how does being dead and having my children die at the hands of, you know, someone that quote unquote loves us, how can that accomplish the purposes of God? And I kept, all I could think of is it can't. And so that's where I kind of took my freedom to leave. It's like, okay, then I need to keep us safe and um, I need to do something different. Willow, here's the hardest part I want to say, and this is the heartbreaking part. This is so heartbreaking. I'm glad you're talking to um, 
I'm hoping you're talking to your mom about this and to older women, women who've stayed, stayed way too long. I thought that by leaving when I did, that I was protecting my children. And I was. I mean, I was protecting them from death, but they were already deeply impacted. They were deeply impacted. The trauma that their lives um, experienced to children who witness abuse, not uh, who experience it directly necessarily, but who hear it from under the bed or behind the curtains or in the closet or outside playing. They're more likely to drink and drug. They're more likely to have immune deficiency, um, not like, uh, like asthma, those kinds of things, allergies, because they're always in the fight or flight um, stress response. They're more likely to commit sexually aggressive acts. They're more likely to engage in um, dangerous behaviors. Uh, they, uh, they struggle for the rest of their lives, like with the anxiety and depression, like many, many things, and it starts so young. Um, so I, I bear the weight now as a mom and as a grandmother of 20 grandkids, and I can see this generational impact on the, on the kids. I'm glad I got away, and I'm glad I've had a lot of help, but my heart aches for the children who... I didn't factor in. I thought I was being a good mom. And it, I was being a good mom in the pot of boiling water. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Your mental, spiritual, and emotional health is worth time, energy, and investment. As women, we can sometimes struggle to find the space and time necessary to focus on rejuvenating our minds and our spirits. But the truth is, our health is worth it. The Collide Counseling Bundle is an online course featuring 12 videos of mental health professionals giving their best advice, journals, resources, and so much more to help walk you through the topics that are most relevant to your life, anxiety, broken relationships, body image, and more. We are so thrilled to be making the resources for a sustainable healing journey available for the same investment as what one therapy session typically costs, $99. It's time to invest in your healing and wholeness. Learn more at wecollide.net slash counseling bundle. I'm, I'm really curious and I'm learning so much from you, Nancy. I'm, I'm sure other people listening are as well. I'm curious because it's really interesting to me that you make this statement, I trust them. Mm -hmm. You trust women when they know when to leave. And I think there's a lot of people listening who live in homes where they're not being abused, but they have friends and loved ones who are. Mm -hmm. And all they want is for those loved ones to leave as soon as possible. Yeah. yeah. And I'm wondering what it looks like to invite the friends of people in domestic violence situations to trust women, but also to be a voice to remind them this isn't okay. This this shouldn't be justified. Don't yeah. normalize this. Right. But also, I'm going to trust the best time for you to leave. I mean, yeah. how can we be a friend to someone in the midst of this? It's so hard, isn't it? It's. I can't say that there's just one answer. Um, there, there has been research that says women leave seven times before they leave for good. 
So some family members get really frustrated when somebody goes back again. They thought they they helped them and this is going to be there, but they go back for lots of reasons. And it's, I like that you said, Willow, that you're a curious woman, you know, like you just have natural curiosity. If we can come into dialogue with somebody with curiosity rather than judgment, it's very easy to say, you're making me crazy. If you keep going back, then, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, you're a stupid idiot. You know, that kind of, you know, that's kind of the message that we give rather than what was it this time that, uh, like, you went back this time and I understand that it was for safety. What will what will it take for you to leave next time? What, what do you need? How can I be there for you next time? Because I trust and respect you, and I know you're going to leave for good when the time comes. When the time comes, I know you'll leave for good. And sometimes they have to have housing. They have to know that that they're going to be safe. They're good. They have. To, they don't know what to do when their children says, "I want my daddy." You know, they get they get so triggered because it's uh, like, "Oh, that's right," or the, or their kids start acting like their dad did. They feel like there's this abusive, and they can't handle it, and and they don't know what to do. And then they find themselves saying stuff. You like, you're just like your dad. You know, I might as well have stayed. Like, there's all this stuff. Support groups are very, very helpful uh, for someone so that you don't have to, as a friend, you know, don't have to travel on all these ups and downs with someone. But if they have a support group where the leader and the other group can help, um, help them talk through all the, all the things because... There's so much confidence they've lost, right? And there's so much um, of their, they've been controlled and overpowered and they don't trust themselves anymore. So just to say, I know that you will leave when you can. Have you ever watched the Maid series on Netflix? Yes. Okay. So you know how hard she worked. She worked hard from the day she left. She worked hard, hard, hard. And there was a scene there's scenes in there where she does go back to to um, to Sean, and she does. I think that has to do with hope. You know, you hope things will be different. It's hard to make a change. Um, that you know, I've been trying to lose the same ten pounds for probably thirty years. <laughs> And that's just around weight loss. It's like, okay, I've made a decision. This is what I'm going to do. And I stop. I stop eating sugar and ice cream. And I'm so proud of myself. And then it's just like, oh, wow. You know, next thing I'm lunging at people's ice cream. Like, you know, I'll have that and more. And then, you know, change is hard. And so when you change your environment, think about leaving all your shoes behind, all of your clothes, all of your creature comforts, your neighborhood, your faith community, everything. And usually it's the victim who has to move. It's not the one who's abusing who leaves, right? You have to leave everything behind and start all over. It's uncomfortable. It's expensive. Um, it's humiliating. Your kids don't always understand what's happening, so there's no one there. And then people say, I'm here to help you, but um, what does that mean? You have to pay rent every month, right? Not just one month, not just three months, every month. 
who's going to look after your kids when you're sick? Like, what do you do with your sexual desire? I mean, there's so many things that are, in, it's very complex, right? Mm -hmm. So it's hard to put yourself in someone else's shoes and understand. Um, but that's why I like to say, I trust you. What are you going to do now? I trust yeah. you. What are you going to do now? Thank you for, yeah, isn't that so much nicer? You're going to, you're going to make it. I know when the time is right. Yeah. Um, it also leaves the door open for continued relationships. So the person who's being abused still feels like they can come to you again and again and again yeah. for all the times they right. need to, which I yeah. love so much. One of the things I read about you that I think is very fascinating, given your story, and obviously, you know, you are a licensed therapist, you worked as the executive director of the Northwest Family Life, um, teaching at Seattle School of Theology and Psychology, co-author of Speaking Up, Recognizing and Addressing Domestic Violence in the Christian Community. I mean, now you, you went from, from, enduring this life to now really being used on this earth to minister and care for people going through domestic violence. And I'm, I'm blown away with your story that you've actually entered into some of the work of counseling men who are abusive. Mm -hmm. And I'm really curious what you've learned from doing that. Mm. Wow. Yeah, so I've run a state-certified treatment program for perpetrators since 1994, so for a long time. Um, I've learned that many of them have belief systems that um, uh, that perpetuate abuse. They have belief systems like women should, and when women don't do the shoulds, uh, they they have every right to put them in their place, right? And if they can't do it through like hints, what I would call a verbal verbal abuse, like they would call hints, then they mm. they will move it up and, and use physical aggression. And sometimes like it's like and they cry out to God, how do I as a husband get my wife to do X, Y, and Z, right? Because they really see her as maybe an adornment or a possession something to that he's to be revered and respected at all costs and so are the children so they're very frustrated and they feel very entitled for a certain type of treatment and along comes this woman who doesn't get with the program so there's belief systems that's just one um, there's also a lot of childhood trauma they have learned that this is a learned behavior and so they learn um, how to be with women or with partners the way that their fathers were or the way that it was done in their family. Uh, so that puts them in a real difficult position because they haven't learned to do something else. There's also something called the man box, like where men are kind of really boxed in by being like the provider to be rough and tough. They're, to have respect, uh, to not show emotions. There's a lot of places that they're kind of incarcerated to into these, into this way of what it is to be a man. 
And they're very worried that by coming into a program, and especially when there's a woman's going to lead them, you know, it's like, oh, great, you're going to turn us into, uh-huh. to, uh, I won't use the language on here, what they say. They <laughs> use foul language because they're so afraid that they're going to be, you know. Uh, so I like, I, I'm going to tell you this with um, children or these uh, men who are abusive have most likely um, had fathers who've been abusive. So it's learned. I have three sons um, and uh, two daughters that were all impacted by um, violence. And imagine if someone, if my boys were to become abusive, I would want someone to work with them who didn't shame them and name called them and said, I, I believe you are created in the image of God. Um, and we're going to, and your identity is okay, but what your behavior is not okay. And we're going to address your behavior. Right. So that's the distinction I've made. Uh, when people come in, I don't call them bad names or, 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 or anything, even though they might have like records that are, are really thick. I just go, I, what ha- what's happened to you? And let's start looking at, at you know, some of your trauma. I, as I retired from North Osami Life at the end of 2022. And I remember my last group of men. They were so vulnerable. They were so, they were so grounded. They really, really were changing in very significant ways. Um, and it was exciting to see, but I was left impacted thinking these men have stories similar to my son's. And um, this is repetitive behavior and they've covered it up. They've gone on to be like heads of hospitals. A lot of them are like were are very professional men, uh, worked at Microsoft and everything, but their their personal lives, their interpersonal lives were just a a wreck and they're incredibly abusive and mean. And um, so now, <laughs> I want to say I counted a privilege. I, I did it on behalf of their, their wives, their partners, and their kids. It's like, no, this is not, this is not okay, and, and let's keep talking there. So I have a select caseload of men who are abusive um, because I think that if they can calm their bodies, if they can um, address their childhood trauma, they're more than capable of um, being respectful, responsible, loving adults. I guess I'm a feminist in that I believe that men are as capable as women. That's my definition. <laughs> we have to change all the time. Willow, I've had to change being a mom and a grandma. And, I, you know, I've had to change. I have to change as I get older. Men can change too. And so that's the hope that I have. And now I work with children. I work at a school with elementary children. Of, I'm going to tear up with little boys and girls who are raised in homes of violence. And I'm hoping that my work with them, and as we grow a group of other therapists um, who will work with them, that we can end the cycle of violence earlier, right, and attend to the needs of children um, before they have to unlearn when they get older, all the things that they didn't get right as kids. Yeah. Nancy, you have such a beautiful story. And I have like 
20 other questions <laughs> we'll ask you, but I won't. But do you ever, I mean, do you ever step back and kind of almost get like a 30,000 foot view of your life and look back to that season of you escaping and you living in your car and you not even being able to say I'm a battered woman to now your life is being used here to bring help and healing and rescue to other people. I mean, are you ever just blown away by what God has done in your life? Well, God and I had a fight this morning, so (laughs) that's a little hard because he was trying to remind me of, um, oh, that I deserve to be safe and have beauty in my life. Isn't that interesting? And it's so, like, I know that. I, I know that on one level. But I was reading, like, through the Psalms, and it's just like, yeah, Lord, um, uh, I think that I've got a calling to serve. And it's like, and and you, and it's okay for you to enjoy beauty, and it's okay for you to play, and it, and it's okay, and it's good. Right. And that is just a really, it was hard for me because if I choose that, if I choose to believe that, mm-hmm. um, yeah, then it changes a bit of the trajectory of my life. But I, I am as amazed with my story as I am with other people who God calls us. I, I think God calls us through the ways we've been marked. He's marked us with our pain. Uh, mm-hmm. to use our pain to um, for redemption, right? There's there's a lot mm-hmm. of things. And so I'm not amazed. I'm grateful for the God that we serve that allows that to happen. And I trust that it happened in my life and that it will happen in other people's lives. I just trust that and I know it. So, mm-hmm. Well, I know you had a hard morning with the Lord, but it sounds like our Father to me because... No matter what season we're in, no matter what age, I just think of him as a dad and we're his kid. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah. you know, just as a parent, and obviously you're a parent and a grandparent, but our dad wants us to play and rest and have fun. Yeah. He also wants us to do work and, and do good work. Yeah. Yeah. But he also wants us to have joy. And yeah. he just wants for you the same thing that you'd want for your own kids or grandkids. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to receive that when... We're driven to do so many other things, right. but I love that he's still reminding you that. I, I'm i blown away that um, so many years ago you were trying to break up with him on a beach, but instead he said, oh, no way. No way, lady. I'm going to use your life to impact so many others. And I, I'm grateful for you for coming on. I know you could be doing a million other things or resting and playing and I just value that you shared your story with us today and your wisdom. And I know that it's going to impact so many women listening. So thank you for being on the podcast Mm -hmm. today. Can I tell you a little bit about what I'm trying to get the courage to do? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. A year ago, I did this website called nancymurphyonline.com, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, I'm going to do, I'm going to, teach everything that I know I'm just going to put it all in there and then I'm just going to let it run up by itself and then it's done one and done right okay here we Mm -hmm. go oh no instead it's on there and I haven't had the courage to put any courses up I haven't had the courage to speak from my heart or to do something 
I just kind of let it drop. So I'm, I'm starting up and I'm, and my first course is, um, addressing domestic violence in the Christian church in the Christian community. Mm -hmm. I really want to talk with people about that. And the mm -hmm. next one is on grandmothers, grandmothers raising grandchildren. And so I have a granddaughter who's 13, who's living with us now. And I get to homeschool her and it's just like, oh my gosh, it's like things that I knew <laughs> about parenting. It's all coming back. But the impact of violence, it, it's kind of a gift that keeps on giving and it's not okay. It is so not okay. And, and I really, uh, if domestic violence is about the love of power and control, the, the, opposite of that I think the direction that God calls us to is the power of love and how do we step into the power of love where where there's equality and respect um, there's meaningful dialogue right there's there's mm -hmm. joint decision making there's partnership and where there's places for forgiveness where we make a decision to forgive and and work the process and see what comes next and so I believe in reconciliation. I really do. And in just taking the next step. So anyways, mm -hmm. I would appreciate prayer for courage <laughs> to do this, you know, and, and courage to play. Well, Nancy, I will definitely pray for you for those things, but also you have a whole host of listeners now who are going to want to hop on that, that website you just shared because our lives need it. Mm -hmm. Our lives need it. So thank you for saying yes to God's call in your life and appreciate you hanging out today. Yeah, thank you. Friend, I hope that you were impacted by that interview as much as I was. And I want to start by saying that if you listen to this podcast and you are in an unsafe relationship, please, please, seek help. In fact, after I recorded with Nancy, I asked her what some resources are that I can share with you. And she gave us the link to some free support groups that you can be in no matter where you are at in the entire world. And so we're putting those in the show notes and please check them out. I hope that if you are a friend of someone who is in an unsafe relationship, that this interview impacted you in a way where it sort of informed you on how you can walk alongside someone, not in judgment or expectation, but in absolute love and understanding on how absolutely hard this situation is. My hope is that women who feel unsafe would be able to find safety and refuge and we as a people can come alongside them to help them do that. So friend, we'll catch you next week. Keep colliding.